Once there was a man living in a time of fascism, oppression, racism, sexism, and technological changes. He bravely spoke of goodness and God in human flourishing. The year, well, the year was, it was not 2023. The year was 1971. And the man is Jürgen Moltmann and his theology of play this week on Board Game Faith, the bi-weekly podcast on the intersection of religion, spirituality, and board games. And I didn't cue up the music. So I'll drop it in here. Before we get to Moltmann's struggle for theology of play, Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about our awesome contest? I would love to talk about our awesome contest, Kevin. And by the way, my name is Daniel and your name is? Daniel Kevin. Daniel Kevin. And I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm hyphenating. I'm Daniel Kevin. I'm Kevin Daniel. Uh, <laughs> that's not confusing at all. Uh, but I, I, or, or you can just call me Daniel and Kevin, but we're, oh, yeah. um, we are grateful to have everybody listening in it's today. Shorter. Thanks for, for listening, for tuning in on this episode about Jürgen Moltmann. We are going to, uh, first though, talk about this, this contest that we're having on, uh, on Instagram. We have reached uh, the milestone of a thousand followers and we're so excited and grateful, uh, for all of our wonderful followers on Instagram. And uh, if you're not following us, you can find us at just look up Board Game Faith on Instagram. And so to celebrate that, we're having this contest where we're asking folks to post a picture of themselves with their favorite games um, in a place of worship, in their place of worship. Could be a mosque, a synagogue, a temple, a church, or some other holy place like outside or whatever is holy or sacred for you. And then to post that to Instagram with the hashtag BoardGameFaith. That's how we are able to find you if you um, include that hashtag, please. And then we're going to, um, at the end of June, we're going to be um, drawing randomly to see who the winners are. And we got some really neat prizes. Um, We have a uh, BoardGameFaith coffee mug that we're going to be giving away. We have a brand new, we're calling it our BoardGameFaith celebration t-shirt. This is a brand new t-shirt, different from the one that I'm I'm wearing right now. It's kind of more of like a collegiate athletic sort of look um, because, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to look more, more sporty, Kevin. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, so it's kind of a, kind of a Heather Gray thing with, um, with our logo kind of askew and, and surrounded by our motto, um, board games are good for the soul, but in two different languages in Urdu, uh, the native language of good friend of the podcast, Ali Karar, who has been on the podcast to speak about board games and Islam. And um, and then in Japanese, uh, the native language of uh, um, 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 uh, Ono Takuya-san, uh, who has also mm-hmm. been in our podcast to speak about uh, Buddhism and board games. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to be giving those away. And the grand prize, uh, in addition to a T-shirt, uh, that person will get to help record the intro to our episode and um, to help us plan an episode as well. So so please, uh, we're, we're, time is is running out. Uh, we're going to, at the end of You've June. have got about one week left. Exactly. If you're listening to this when it first drops. Yep, yep. So we would love to have you, um, have you uh, post uh, and... Um, and enter the contest. It would be great. If, it, if, you're, if this is our Martian overlords who have conquered and going through the data in 40 years, I was always on your side. I just want to tell you that. And that's exactly right. I can attest, even offline, yes. Kevin has told me this. So he has <laughs> always a, been he'll, positive he'll, alien invasion. He'll text me in the middle of the night and say, Daniel, <laughs> I love the Martians. And uh, I love the Martians. And I'll text back and say, I know, I know, Kevin. We need to get some sleep now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I will never put tinfoil on my head because I want them to find me. Yes. And also don't forget to like and subscribe to us here. We are on YouTube and we're a traditional podcast. So you may be listening to the audio version on the podcast player of your choice. Or 
you may be checking this out on YouTube with the video and the audio. So wherever we are, give us a like, a review, a thumbs up, and we have a newsletter. And you can subscribe to BoardGameFaith.com. Go to there and subscribe to our newsletter. Also, we request, after doing all those items, if you'll wash Daniel's car and trim my hedges, we would appreciate it. That's, so, that's, that's Daniel, a bonus. who is... That's a bonus. That's a bonus. You'll, it, it's like a game. It is. See, yes. So, Daniel, Jürgen, 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 Jürgen. How's your German? Jürgen Moltmann. Jürgen. Uh, my German's Jürgen not, it's not as good as my son's, but yes, I'll, uh, I can. So, who is Jürgen Moltmann? We'll just, we'll just, yeah, we'll just keep it American and say Moltmann. Yeah. Moltmann. Moltmann. Uh, Moltmann. Tell us a little bit about him. Yes, well. Jürgen Moltmann was born in 1926, and he is still alive, which was a surprise, I think, for both you and me in preparation for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I was in seminary a long, long time ago, and probably probably you too, Kevin, we, we, um, we learned about Moltmann along with um, the names of other theologians who had have... have long ago um, passed away, but Moltmann is still alive, and how wonderful is that? He's a German... Re- almost 100 years almost old. Almost 100 years old. A German Reformed theologian who's a professor emeritus of systematic theology um, at the University of Tübingen in Germany. Side note, Tübingen. I've mentioned in the past that I have some, um, some uh, German Mennonite relatives. When I have visited them um, in the Stuttgart area of Germany, I've... I've I remember noticing Jürgen Moltmann theology books on their bookshelves, uh, even though wow. neither of them are, you know, theologians by profession. Um, they they were they were very interested in his work. He's known for such books as the Theology of Hope, the Crucified God, and God in Creation. Of course, the one I have is not one that I guess is one of the more famous ones, but the Experiment Hope. The Experiment Hope. I've not read it. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna, I'll read it. That's okay. There's many I, I haven't read either. Um, Yuri Moltmann was drafted in 1943 uh, to uh, fight for Nazi Germany in World War II. He surrendered in 1945, was a prisoner of war in Belgium, um, became a Christian, uh, converted to Christianity, and then was a prisoner of war in Scotland and England. He went home in 1948, earned a doctorate from the University of Göttingen in 1952, and then went on to be a pastor and a professor and a prolific author. Um, and a, a significant theological voice in the uh, conversation of how Christianity inters- intersects with the world still today. I, th- I think it's just amazing that this poor young kid in a POW camp ends up becoming this academic and theological giant. Like, who knew yeah. that, that that sort of... It was the kindness of chaplains and others who were reaching out to him that led him to make a huge career and life choice. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm not very familiar with the story of his conversion experience. And I, but I would be interested to find out more about that sometime and just kind of his, that what that, yeah, what that mm-hmm. journey. Cause looked I don't like think he grew him. up very religious. Right. The right. little, the, the very brief reading I did. Yeah. It was, it was really uh, fighting in a war that evidently he really didn't want to fight in. Yeah. And, um, but also living with, the, the pain of the post-war period for Germany. Yeah, yeah. So led him to, yeah, to become a, a deeply convicted Christian and thinker. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the books that Jürgen Moltmann went on to, to write is this one that we're considering today, A Theology of Play, mm-hmm. right, Kevin? And, and you said he wrote that, what, in 1971? Yeah, uh, 1971, two? Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's 71, 1971. I, this is the only significant writing of a made, I mean, this, these are all difficult categories, but in terms of sort of a canonical theologian, someone who's had a wide influence, and, and that's always up for debate who, who's among that. But right. Regardless, he's he's one of the main ones to write about play. Is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or to have a single volume. I mean, there may be others that have occasionally had a chapter or two or a couple of paragraphs. But right, no, I I think that's exactly right. I mean, you you don't. Um, 
you know, I, I think about the other authors that I like to read, you know, we don't have, uh, or that I, I know are significant, you know, there aren't works about the value of play from um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, though he may, though he, though he does talk about it in, in some places or more contemporarily, you know, Barbara Brown Taylor or Thomas Merton or Martin Luther King Jr. Or, you know, any, you know, any of these folks, they, they don't, they don't, um, it's not a very common subject. In fact, for a while there, Kevin, I know when you and I were first getting into this research for theology of play, I think kind of jokingly referred to it as kind of the holy grail of books on theology of play because it was so hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's out of print. Um, but um, but you were able to 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 to, to find a copy. So My, yeah. yeah, Pfeiffer University had a copy in the library. So if you're curious to read this for yourself, you might check out a local library a university library, which sometimes is open to the public, or you may be able to get borrowing rights if you live in the community, or if not, you probably can just get in there and read it uh, there at the library. Yep. It's it's a hard work, but it's actually not that long. It's a little deceiving, I think, the book itself, because it's actually three different kind of long essays. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It, and so it's like they cobbled together this thing to for publication. And I don't know what the publication was like in Germany, but in English, this is the English translation. Right. Um, the Klingon version is really good, though. It is. It really has a lot to it. It is. I th- they, a plot. they have trouble translating the word for... Um, uh, for for giddiness though they, there's not much of a Klingon <laughs> sense of giddiness, but um yeah yeah I know they had a footnote there about it yeah, which was useful yeah the uh, uh but you're right I mean it, it doesn't feel like you're reading a systematic theology which is not a complaint I've never been a much of a systematic theology guy myself in terms of how my brain is wired not that there's anything wrong with it it's just mm-hmm. it's just I I don't I personally don't mind that it's not a systematic theology but it is it's a dense work we were talking about this before starting recording mm-hmm. um kevin i was sharing with you you know i um what i find challenging about reading it is i'll, I'll get i'll read like i've had to read it several times but i'll read like these multiple paragraphs where i finally feel like i get his argument or what he's saying and then after all that i finally realized that he is constructing this argument just to reject it just to say that it's wrong <laughs> and it doesn't have right. he doesn't have those kind of verbal clues like we might have maybe in more modern scholarship or writings where he'll say something like no i don't really believe this but here's what my opponents mm-hmm. say or things like that he doesn't doesn't really give us those kind of um textual um textual markers to let us know that he's delving into something that uh, he disagrees with you know and it's not till the till the end of the section where he says but this is why it's wrong <laughs> you know and, right yeah yeah no i had the same frustration too it, it, it's a it, it's from 50 years ago and some of the fights and arguments he's picking he, he he's not seen the berlin wall fall he's not seen the collapse of the ussr so he's still thinking in terms of cold war right and he's thinking in terms of yeah yeah it, it's it's hard to it's hard to get your head around the, his concerns because they are different, and he's he speaks about them indirectly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we're just looking at pages one to fourteen, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So we will have a follow up. So this this is book club surprise suckers book club book club Hold with on. occasional microphone scratching. Yeah. Wee wee. My name is Moltmann. Wingy wingy. Can you give me a bolt, Mon? That's horrible. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, I I think, and so whether you uh, read this or not or have read it, here's our attempt at an outline of what's going on in these first 14 pages. I think, Daniel, one thing to highlight in the first part of this, his first question is, is it moral to play games in a hurting world? Yep. So he's starting it from a place of compassion that there are people out there that are suffering from war, famine, disease. Shouldn't we be either working to end those problems, address them, or should we at least refrain from doing something that is fun? Right, right. So given given the, the problems of the world, is it right to do something silly like playing games and having joy and laughter. It's almost like a, a weird 
Puritan question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why would you waste your time being frivolous? You should be busy. It's the kind of thing John Wesley would have said. I think he was against gaming, correct? Because it's frivolous. You could be knitting or crocheting or building a ramp or studying a religious poetry or something like that. But, um, but ultimately, Moltmann's going to push against that. And one basis he has is Psalm 126, which says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. And Psalms are in the Christian and, and Hebrew Bible. And so here there's a place for in the midst of joy to laugh. And it seems like he's wanting to connect happiness, joy, and laughter and freedom. Because in that verse is when the people of Israel get to be free in Zion. Um, does that seem fair to you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent um, summary. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I think he really gets it in those in the very really just the first few pages. This um, this moral dilemma, this conundrum that I think a lot of people feel uh, around play and gaming. Um, in some ways, almost kind of the, the the world outside of gamers is maybe feel it even even a little bit more, which is just exactly what you said. You know, that just seems in bad taste or tone deaf mm. or 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 just um, insensitive to devote a portion of our lives to play and fun and games when there is so much suffering and hurt in the world, right? Um, and you know, another, and, and you're right. So he's trying to move us toward that wonderful Psalm, um, that you mentioned 126 and he contrasts it with kind of the question asked in Psalm 137, Psalm uh, 137 begins by saying, you know, how can we, uh, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You know, this, this song, mm-hmm. Psalm that was written in what's known as the Babylonian captivity when people were, when, when, uh, Israelites were taken from the homeland and forced to live in, in this faraway land of Babylon. And they're saying, like, how can we how can we rejoice when we're in this this when we're in captivity, when we're in exile? You know, how can we sing? How can we be happy? How can we play? And you're exactly right. He that he really lifts that up. And I, I feel like that's such an important question that I think anyone who's wrestling with play and games and theology and spirituality and religion has to ask at some point. Because if we don't ask it, certainly the world will ask it of us. You know, there, I, I know I have kind of encountered that when I have talked sometimes in some circles about the importance of play in games. There's sometimes this spoken pushback, sometimes unspoken pushback. Like, well, you know, really? Like, there are so many more important things you could be talking about, so many more important things you could be doing to be making the world a better place right now. Um mm-hmm. You could be like, you know, again, all of the, what you've been pointing out, you know, relieving suffering, relieving hunger, um, um, trying to dismantle racism or, you know, um, and, and you're just playing, you know, how that's mm-hmm. pretty self-indulgent of you, you know. Um, so, yeah, so he really begins yeah, with that I, contrast. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I, he's, he's picking up there's a there's a quote here he says these sketches you know he's meaning these succeeding pages these i guess he's kind of admitting it's a sketch of an idea these sketches seek to reassert the value of aesthetic joy so the joy and beauty and happiness and yeah of enjoying play really against the absolute claims of ethics, yeah. which I take to mean, well, you ought to, son, you ought to be doing something about this. You, you ought to be fixing the environment. You ought to be um, pressure washing your deck, right? So you're a bad person if you don't do it, which is a very Lutheran type notion of it's these claims are absolute right. and that's the law. Right, right. And against that, he's picking up, and even though he himself I think is more Calvinist, and these are kind of schools of thought within Protestant theology coming from some of the Protestant leading Protestant voices. But here he's sounding a little more like Luther, I think, which is we're supposed to be about grace and joy and freedom and not about thou shalt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you must. Mm-hmm. You're, which, is, which is a sense of being judged and evaluated. You're a bad person if you don't. 
do what, if you're not always about doing good. Exactly, exactly. He's, he's, he's saying, no, that's not really who we are. We're not about doing, we're about being free creatures. Yeah, yeah. Which, interestingly enough, I think, interestingly, for me at least, translates into a position of critique and criticism from Moltmann toward both the right and the left. You know, and I, I, I find that so interesting mm. in this, in, in our polarized world today, you know, um, it, 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 especially here in the United States, such high polarization between the right and the left. Even though this is 50 years ago, there's something almost kind of refreshing about that, that, you know, a voice that says, you know what, neither the right nor the left really has got this, you know, <laughs> that, and that, mm-hmm. and that seeing them ultimately, um, and, and, and also he critiques political movements and theological movements um, on, on the right and the left, both as well. He, you know, he says that, that ultimately they both can kind of arrive at the same place. They both end up at the same place, which is what you're talking about, Kevin, this sense of, of the absolute demands of their of their own ethical system, right? And uh, and I just I find that fascinating. You know, he 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 finds that there there's in his mind really kind of not much hope for a movement toward authentic freedom and being authentically human from either the right or the left or from any kind of political revolution or theological reformation, but ultimately it's just in the sense of play, you know, and, and uh, I, I find that very refreshing in our day and age. Yeah. Yeah. And so our human identity is not about movements or isms or, or political identities. It's to be identified in this phrase from an 18th century German poet named Herder who said that human beings are the first liberated being in creation, mm. that we're the f- first beings that, and I guess by this he, he's saying we are the first ones that have knowledge and can plan our own freedom. Right, right. So, and I don't know if the first means in terms of a th- thinking about the creation story that's told in the Bible, like we're the, fir- or he's just thinking in terms of mental growth that we have the mental ability to be self-conscious and self-aware, or he's thinking in terms of redemption that because we've been as Christians, if mm-hmm. uh, from a Christian point of view, we've been redeemed by Christ. So that makes us liberated mm-hmm. in the sense of we were both sinners and forgiven. Right. That, so I, I'm not, I don't know enough about Herder or, or, or Moltmann here to know what they mean by first, but but I think it's this idea of anticipation that we're supposed to be truly human and we should be free and freedom enjoys joy and laughter and not, you know. Right. Now that you've waxed my car, wax it again. Right, right, right. right. That strict kind of ethicism is, is, is ethicism a word? I don't know. Anyway, is, is, um, ethicism, ethicism, that strict ethicism is, is, you know, is something that is arrived at from, from either political perspective. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's whether, you know, oh, you gotta, you gotta make sure to follow these rules that the right says, or, oh, you gotta make sure to follow the rules that the left says, you know, but either way, it's about following rules. Yeah, they both have rules that tell you you're a good or bad person. Right, right, right. The judge. Right. So, I mean, so in response to this, this, this critique that you really are ignoring, or is it right to play in light of the suffering of the world? Um, yeah, so that, that's, so Moltmann says in part, you know, that this isn't about, well, he says it's not about ignoring the suffering, right? It's about, it's about transforming the suffering that he, Mm-hmm. He has this point where he says early on, he says, I'm not writing this book for you all who ignore the suffering of the world, um, who look at the world through rosy, who pink, pink colored glasses and, and think rose colored glasses mm-hmm. and think that there's no suffering in the world. He says, I'm writing this, this book for people who are feeling so overwhelmed by the suffering of the world that they're kind of on the, the edge of despair, you know, and, and he said, that's right. who I'm writing for. I'm writing for this book for people who know who know the suffering of the world very very well. Yeah, and you had a great comment there that someone told you about 
an attitude towards suffering and misery. You were sharing that before. Share yeah. that again. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I had I had encountered this in a couple different places, but this sense that, you know, it if if it made if it relieved the suffering of the world for me to commit myself to a life of miserableness mm-hmm. then yes go ahead commit yourself to a life of miserableness if it relieves the suffering of others but the truth is it doesn't work that that way right that mm-hmm. my commitment my if my committing myself if i chose to do that to a life of being miserable will in no way relieve the suffering of other people in fact it'll probably contribute to the overall sense of suffering and miserableness in the world because oh, so you know good. whatever miserableness we have in our hearts has a way great, of, yeah yeah so I, I, to, to go ahead i've got two thoughts no you finish yours then I, i'm going to follow up well just i mean it, i guess even in kind of a very scientific sense or uh, maybe not very scientific sense but sci- physical sense that the uh, you know our every family i think if you go if you expand your circle large enough deals with some sort of chronic uh, health conditions, um, you know, and and our family is no different. You know, we we have uh, chronic health conditions in in our in our family circle, and um, and I remember, you know, at one point when we were consulting with uh, doctors and medical teams on that, they said that too. You know, like you know, if it would help this chronic health condition for you to uh, feel bad about it you know, to worry about it, whatever, go for it. But it's not, you know, what's going to make it better is live a full and joyful life, you know, and, 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 and find good ways of managing it. I mean, don't, don't ignore it, take it seriously, but, but couple that taking it seriously with, with joy, you know, and, and it's not going to make it any better for you to be miserable. You know, and I found that I found that, I found that really helpful. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh. <laughs> anyway, what do you think? Okay, I've got three things to okay, share. Okay. Okay. All right. First one. First one. When I was a student chaplain, this was part of seminary field education. So I was a student hospital chaplain. Mm. I remember, and I'd forgotten about this till you, you just told that story there about that encounter with the, you know, the doctors giving you advice. I encountered this woman who was in the dementia ward and she really could not remember much from, you know, recent times. Mm. And she's like, I have this pain in my stomach, but I don't know why. Oh, well, like she wasn't too worried, but she's like, I had this pain. I found out later she'd had a hysterectomy a few days ago, but had no, no memory, no memory of it. Interesting. But what was really interesting is she was so free. Like, yes. I grew up in a family where it'd been like, oh, I hope it's okay. Is it getting infected? Like you would worry about the surgery. Did they get it all? Yes. What's the prognosis? The doctor have a report. She, it, it, it's like, it was like a pain in her tummy and, yes. and she was unconcerned. Yes. And I thought, wow, that is kind of, it shows you how weird attitudes and thinking can be because if you're relaxed, you'll actually heal better yeah. if you're positive, mm-hmm. if instead of worrying. So to the first anecdote there about the strange bit of, of embracing joy in the midst of suffering and, and illnesses and chronic conditions. Um, another is that at church, uh, we're doing Sunday school and we are reading through the gospel of Mark. And it just reminded me, there's these curious bits in Mark chapter two, and this is in the Christian New Testament, where the Pharisees and some of the other enemies of Jesus say, why are you and your, your disciples not fasting? Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's so good. That's such a great example. Well, this is not the time for it. He kind of gives a really strange cryptic (laughs) answer of like, well, you don't, you don't fast when the bridegroom's here. Right. But then he doesn't really explain it. He's just like, and then he also does the bit of I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, but you could read those as saying, you know, the rules are there and they're not bad, but there are times for joy too. Right, right, right. And and I could see them, you know, it could have been the question of why are you playing board games when there's all these problems happening? Oh, that's so good. That's and 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 along this is really kind of a, a, a echo of the first point. Number three. Number three. My top three comments yeah, yeah. in response. This is like a dice tower video. I like it. Three like comments. It. Number today. three. My third one is is that when people are suffering, while they want they want empathy, but 
they also want some joy in their lives. Yep. So if there's something bad going on, they actually want to be around happy people. At least some, I mean, it depends on the person yep. and the timing. And they also don't want to just be sick. They don't want to be categorized as sick or mourning. Right. Or whatever. Right. They actually would like people to talk about something else. Yep. Yep. And they might actually want you to tell jokes and laugh and have fun. Yep. Yep. So that they yep. get to forget about their troubles. And maybe that's partly what he's getting at too, is that you don't always help people in problems by sitting around going, oh, this is the worst. Right, right, right. You know, you, you, you joy can be infectious and they need a little time of that. Yeah, yeah. To help deal with the suffering, not to ignore it, but hopefully like you're saying, to transform it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, it reminds you of a... Of, of a few other quotes too that, that, that a quote that's kind of haunted me. I don't think there's absolute truth in this, but uh, um, you know, there's the sense like uh, imagining a situation where a person's at the bottom of a pit, you know, and uh, hmm. and and they'll say, you know, there is some value for saying, "Well, I'll be with you in that pit," you know, "I'll, I'll be with you in mm-hmm. the midst of that suffering." But then I've also heard it's like, mm-hmm. you know, rather than have someone be with me in the pit, I'd rather somebody be above the pit with a rope. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking to pull me out of the pit, you know? Um, and so there, so there's that, um, and which is easier said than done, of course, uh, often. Uh, sure. uh, um, but then it, it, um, Oh, all these is all oh, we need, we need, we, we, we should, oh, I'm excited to talk more about this in, in future episodes. Um, Miroslav Wolf, another theologian talk has this book called the end of memory. And, uh, I've, I have not made it all the way through it. But, you know, but he plays with this idea, talk, you talking about the woman who has dementia, you know, and the pain in the side, that um, in some ways we have, of course, of course, we have to have memory. Of course, that's how we, in some ways, prevent suffering from happening again. You know, that whole thing about, you know, if you don't remember your history, you repeat it. And I believe that we have to commemorate and remember the the atrocities and the pain and the suffering of the past. But on the other hand, not on the other hand, but he also just talks about that memory is kind of what also keeps suffering alive for us too, you know, and how, and in some time, in some ways, right. and how do you, how do you balance those things out? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, it, it, it reminds me of another great theological song, um, the black eyed peas, uh, one tribe y'all, here we go. And uh, and I don't mean and I I don't mean to use the word I know the word tribe can, can be a little bit problematic. I'm, I'm just quoting the name of the of the song. It's just called One Tribe Y'all. Um, um, and, but the chorus of One Tribe Y'all is is is, is One Tribe is One Tribe Y'all. Let's catch amnesia. Let's catch amnesia. Forget about all that evil. That evil that they feed you. You know. It, it, so this value of amnesia of kind of of kind of um, yes letting go of anyway, which again is is. Easier said than yeah, done, and it's yeah. problematic in itself. Oh. But yes, yeah, yeah, you just reminded me of something. Yes, oh. let's go for it. I want to hear it. Gosh, here we this go. This is like let's a ping pong, it. a ping pong game of ideas. I like it. <laughs> let's see what I just what, let me hear it. Moltmann ping pong. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's to Moltmann's credit that he's hit on something so deep that we keep we keep yeah, uh, kind of thinking, yeah, know, connecting yeah. all these dots. But um, I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, who died. Uh, just in the past year, year or so, year two years, but she made the comment. She was married for a very long time. She said, "You know, in a in a marriage, you have to be a little deaf," mm. which is such a great idea in any type of long term relationship that you kind of have to just pretend you didn't hear something. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. by that she that that we're all not at our best, and at times things are said, and you could either you know, let them fester or you can just pretend you never heard it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's such a great sort of idea of how you negotiate difficult times or stressful times um, is that sometimes you just kind of, there's the memory, but you just set it aside because otherwise that memory can ruin everything, really. Right. How can, so, yes, yeah. and how can you hold on to the memories of the, beautiful times and the positive times and give as much weight to them right. as the, as the memories of the bad stuff and hard right. stuff to figure out. May I make one yeah. last, one last thing. In, Maltmon ping pong. <laughs> sorry that it's, did you know that Maltmon's really good at ping pong actually? You know, he, um, he was going to go to the Olympics. Uh, yes. In 19, 
58, yes. I believe, and yeah. that was going to take place in the Antarctica Research Station. That's right. That's right. It, that was the one year it was in the very northern hemisphere. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I remember, you know, I had almost, I had almost forgotten about that, but I, I remember but that in our research. Fungus. I think he had he a did. fungus that prevented he did. him. Uh, you know, there is uh, talking about the, the uh, Holy Grail of books. You can actually find a limited edition Moltmann ping pong t-shirt from that era, era like early. <laughs> um, it says Moltmann ping, uh, uh, ping pong forever. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, if somebody out there could find have, it, it would be great. I'd love it. And, and also, wait, what are creatures that molt? Um, snakes. snakes. Snakes molt, lizards yeah. molt. So there's one, there's one I saw, a, a Moltmann ping pong t-shirt, and it had two snakes. And one says, molt man. Oh, like, clever, clever. Yeah, yeah like yeah. one snake was saying to the other. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, we, if our, he never, Moltmann, he didn't speak English, so he never got the joke. Because, well, actually, I, I don't know that. I just made that up. And he, he never understood that joke. Um, <laughs> Unless in German it is Molt, and then it he would work. I, would, I, I don't know. I, I, what does yeah. that name mean? I actually, man actually, man, I right? looked it up before this episode. Oh, God, uh, you're such a nerd. <laughs> but I, I didn't have I must it. look out the etymology <laughs> of Moltmann. I didn't have it, but I didn't find anything too definitive. But the one thing, just circling back to this critique of play yeah, ping pong of play uh-huh. um, that why can't you be more productive I do think that is a sign which is another episode we need to do at some point which is too big for this episode of how much we are Such a great pie. how much we are formed without even realizing it everyone in our world today by the ethical system that comes out of the industrial revolution and what we might call what's commonly called in the West the Protestant work ethic but this sense and in some ways it's tied into the Protestant Reformation as well. But for the last 500 years, we've all been, we've all been nurtured in the unspoken uh, system of ethics that teaches us that our greatest value of being human beings is to be productive, right? And right. That, is the, that is the ultimate ethic. Uh, in fact, Moltmann refers to this as the morality of achievement, right? That that, that is the ultimate that is the ultimate measure of value and worth. Are we productive? Can we achieve? And that comes straight out of the Industrial Revolution. In some ways, it comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Ironically, because the whole thing, idea about the Protestant Reformation is we're not saved by grace. Well, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Well, how do we know that we have grace? We're really productive. You yeah, know? yeah. And then it's that, that leads to... You can't make this up, the irony. Yeah, that leads yeah. to you know rampant... Um, excesses in capitalism. It leads, in some ways, it contributes to this uh, ideology that under that um, that um, that was the underpinning of of thinking that uh, human slavery was okay. You know, just it, it just leads to all sorts of excesses and evils. Um, this idea that our highest value is being productive, and mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I just lift that up as as um, yep. In, in the word yeah. in the words of the English poet William Wordsworth. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers, little in nature that is ours. Oh, my goodness. It's all about getting and spending. Uh, We're actually losing what the power of being human. That's so good. Because we reduce it to getting and spending. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. And unfortunately, even board games are corrupted by this because we get... Uh, taken in by the the latest game or or an uh, a expansion or collection, so whoa, 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 even whoa, whoa. something that should be about play. I know it, it cuts like a you're, knife. You're stepping on toes so now, long. man. I know, I know. The cult of the new. No, you're right. You're right. Back you're right. this game. You're right. Back you're right. this game. Which Back I think is exactly Back. exactly a great point, which needs to be said. But I think also also makes it important for us to say this point that you know in exploring this idea of play and games Moltmann and others are really looking at it from a broader philosophical point of just the role of play and games in the human experience in general not not specifically you know the second edition kickstarter of you know brass birmingham or whatever but yeah yeah right is there a new one no but i wish oh that'd be so great brass birmingham part two more why is it called brass because you make brass, because they were built, they're brass factories. I don't remember any brass in the game. They don't. More. It's the most enigmatic name. I think that's an AI generated title. And maybe, and maybe. 
so that's the first Dang. theme that you got from this, Kevin, was um, oh. was this idea of, you know, is is it how moral is it for us to play in a world of suffering, right? And then we come to second theme, right? Uh, oh, I feel like I hate the, it when it's theme two at forty minutes. This is terrible. Do we? I'm at a decision point. Yeah. Do we keep going on the expedition? Why do know. we take the loot back <laughs> to headquarters? Do we push our luck? Should we turn over the next card and see what it is? Yeah, it's just a push our luck moment. All right, let's go for it. Let's go for okay. it. I think we can do it. Daniel. Okay. All right. Go all right, ahead. All right. What's the second theme in these? Pages. In the pages one through fourteen, man, this is just pages one through fourteen. We're going to be talking about this book forever. So, so the second major theme that you identified so well in our in our show notes beforehand is is this: Are games then so? Um, can games be? Are, are games an instrument of oppression or freedom? And so this is what he this is what he's talking about. He 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 says that um, given the systems of oppression that we live in, given the fact as he as we've shared earlier, that Moltmann believes that ultimately all political revolutions and even theological reformations can lead us away from freedom toward greater um, uh, oppressiveness, oppression. Um, he said, in those systems, games still exist, but games are used as tools of oppression. They are seen as what he calls kind of release valves of um, letting off steam so that we can get a little simulation of freedom and then mm-hmm. go back to being cogs in the machine again, right? And, yes. and so he says, and, and, and you know, we encounter this all the time in, in, our, in our common language about games. We talk about games as well. You know, we, we, we play games, we play, we go on vacation, we take a Sabbath, we do all this stuff to recharge, right? We're recharging, mm-hmm. we're, 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 you know, we're, we're letting off some steam, we're, 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 we're recharging our souls. We're doing this so that, why? That's the critical point that we never think about. Mm-hmm. Why, so that, why? So that we can go back and be better workers again, right? So that we yes. can go back and be more productive again. So that we can go back and be better cogs in the machine again, right? And this is a deep thing, theme of the grasshopper as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. The yep. ant versus the grasshopper. The ant, yeah, you were supposed to be cogs in the machine and the grasshopper and, and games only exist to make you a better cog. Exactly. They're not, they're not an, a, an and end the, to and itself. And the grasshopper's like, no, we are the game. Like we play games. That's what we are. Exactly. Exactly. Are games an, yeah. a means to an end or are they, are they the end in and of themselves? Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, so ancient Rome did this with the bread and circuses. Mm-hmm. Give the people food and fun and then they will they won't rise up and rebel or they'll be better workers. Right. Right. So bread and circus pan panum et circus. That's something, something. I, I, yeah, something. I think that's the Latin, you know, more panum et circenses. I think I heard, I think I just pulled a vocal cord. Okay. That I, I'm, I'm impressed. It sounds very erudite to me. Panem. But interestingly in the hunger games, the city there is called Pan Am, and she knowingly did that because in that movie and books, it's picking up on this theme that there is a competition that distracts everyone that that what can you survive the Hunger Games, and that makes them better workers yeah. to, to feed the riches of Pan Am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what that book is about in some ways. Yeah. So maybe games make us forget our misery or our own political power, that religion and games are the opiate of the people, as Karl Marx said about just religion, yep. that it, 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 it soothes us so that we just keep working. Right, that that is how the systems of oppression view games. They, they don't say that games are unimportant. They see games as ways of keeping us ultimately um, in service to the system, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I reminded me also of Hunger Games is such a great example. I have played the game Trajan by uh, Stefan Feld, a really great Stefan Feld game. I've looked at that and so many times. There are three. I don't have any Felds. Yeah, no, they're, you're good. Kristen, my wife, one, one of her top favorites is Castles of Burgundy. It's a great, great game. But anyway, oh. there are, th- you know, in that game, your population has three needs and you have to meet these needs or else you get punished. They are bread, food, um, religion, and games. Right, that you have to, you have, and and so it, it very much that it's a it's a 
game mechanism that replicates this view that games are useful only for helping the population um, um, let off steam and, and, and thereby allowing them to return to the system to be helpful cogs in the, in the machine. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are a means to an end. But mm-hmm. Moltmann says that's, that's not. He, he, then Moltmann makes this interesting shift and he says, you know, even thinking that games are important for allowing us to release steam is better than thinking games are unimportant at all. But he says they're, they're more than that. He said they're important for more than that. And then he makes the shift that you were just talking about that, that Bernard Suits makes in The Grasshopper, which we've talked about in earlier episodes. If listeners want to go back and look for those episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Book Club. Book Club. Part one. Um, where he says, as Bernard Suits says, Jürgen Moltmann says in his own way, games are not at their best. At their best, games are not means to an end. They are meant to be the end, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they, that we don't play games to empower us to return to the system and be more productive. We play games because that's the meaning of life, right? That's, that's, what, that's, what, yeah. that's why we're created. That's why we're here is to oh, rejoice so and good. delight in life and in each other and in God. Um, and he said, so that's what he says. He says that games at their best. Oh, 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 I love this. Do you mind if I? Oh, I you connect. Oh. Okay. So a couple things, a couple things. One, he says real revolution, real, real reformation, real changing society will not begin by changing how we work, but by changing how we play. Right? And that that's, that's how real change in, in the world has happens by, by changing how we play. And, and what he says then is that, is that games at their best allow us to, envision a better future that 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 uh, that game are you talking Moltmann or suits here Moltmann Moltmann I'm sorry yeah Moltmann Moltmann says that that um, games that are about the past or present are and I don't mean thematically but like basically um, what they help us to process you know what kind of like that um, are 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 games in, in service to the system right in service to the society they're they're the steam valves, um, but game but but games at their most purest form at, at what they were intended to be, are, are are games about the future. He said that the best games, the reason games are exist are to help us envision a better future. Yeah, and um, I because love that. I asked, is that uh, is that Moltmann or Suits? Because Suits is getting at that as well. Yeah, that in, yeah. In the utopia or in the future, that these are all the ideas of anticipation. Yes. So when we play a game, we're anticipating a future reality, which is also a, a very Christian theme in terms of the Last Supper, um, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist, you know, different names. But the idea that that's an anticipation. So when we do this, we're anticipating this future where this is fully realized yes and, and and so there's there's a bit so we're at a table as well yes and, and that works for games that we are liberated beings of creation and we should be acting more like it which means we should be playing and and so yeah that's really th- there's your sacramental bit right like when you play game you're sort of you're becoming the grasshopper yes which is yes. being this redeemed creature yeah and listen to the, oh, and God. listen to the, to the language of of holy communion the lord's supper eucharist this tradition in the christian tradition you know you're right it happens at a table right it brings people together mm-hmm. and what is what does jesus say jesus says well this this bit represents this right and and right. this bit represents that you know and and i oh, mean it's, it's 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 oh my god it's like the sacred holy game right whereas we would say you know this meeple represents this worker he's saying well this bread represents yeah. my body right and this and now this, there are some christian debates mm-hmm. about whether it 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 you know yeah whether actually go ahead go ahead whether it is a symbol or it really is but regard even if you say it really has become christ's body as catholic teaching would say it still has this weird double thing of it still looks and tastes like bread but it also has this deeper thing right right so you still can make the argument that it is kind of like a meeple in the sense that it's an abstraction it's still a little little wafer of bread yeah yeah it's an abstraction to the senses it still tastes like bread it doesn't but the the outer bit of it doesn't become right christ's body to our senses it's an abstraction of a larger reality which is ultimately what we see in games too they're an abstraction of oh reality. Oh my gosh. We're going to have to do Board Game Faith the book. We got to do it. That's the last bit of it. 
Well, that's the last chapter. And then we could go on an archaeological dig mm. to ancient or, or to, to Israel now, Palestine, mm. and but do an ancient dig. And not only will I find the wizard that turns me into Shazam, but we'll also find an earlier copy of the Gospel of Mark, which the bit has left out where there were dice at the Last Supper. And yeah, we, 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 you know, I like it. I like it. Little, then we become Lord Emperors and Daniel turns into a giant worm. This is, I'm, I'm riffing on Dune. He becomes a God Emperor and I'm just sort of chilling in a cave. So. I uh, with air conditioning, it has air. It has to have air, air conditioning. conditioning. Yeah, I, I um, I geothermal. I would say I, th- I think we need to find a grant funding for this dig, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll do I, it. I don't think any of that's unrealistic. No, yeah. no. We we could, Gospel of Mark, book or chapter fourteen, missing verse five a. Yeah, yeah. I like it. The dice. I like it. Yeah. And ancient meeples. <laughs> made out of sheep knuckle bone no that's, that's do sheep even have knuckles i don't know what i'm talking about anymore that's you know i had to look that up when they call it that it's really the ankle bone oh okay okay it, it, it's the bit from the ankle because i guess it's naturally a polygon really including even the human ankle so they sometimes call it a knuckle bone but it's really the ankle i, I don't know wow this is biology is you know we're just we're just fumbling they, in the dark. They, they're they're always coming up with stuff with exceptions and miscall you know misnaming things. Yeah, so yeah. I don't trust them at all. So Kevin, if Moltmann yeah, is Daniel. right that games are an anticipation of the future and help us to envision a better future, where have you and I experienced that individually or or together? But but can you can we can you or I can we reflect on experiences we've had? We're playing a game. Maybe give us a glimpse of a better future. Or do we know of experiences like that, whether we've personally had it or not? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... I don't want to put you on the spot. I, these are going to feel generic, but one is when you see somebody, it could be yourself or someone else, really do well at a game and they've grown and gotten better. I think that is really exciting. Yeah. It's personal growth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're like, I... I, I, all of a sudden, they they have mastered the game. So I think that's the anti- an anticipation of just yeah, personal growth, obstacle and success. Yes. So that, but then probably why we all play games is just that magical esprit de corps when everyone's invested in a game yeah. and it's immensely fun. And while you've got to want to win, in some ways that's not the point anymore. Right. Right. Like you're almost curious to see who wins the game and you want to win, but you're not going to get angry and flip the table. You're just so invested in it. You just really want to know how it comes out. We, it's almost like in some games where you have the reveal, mm. you know, the final bit of, well, let's see who had the most points. We've abandoned our desire moment. to put our own personal win as, as the ultimate measure of, yes. of uh, which, which, but you've created, you've created this thing. Like the, you've been on this journey, you've worked hard and it, it's just this magic and, and you're not thinking about tomorrow or dinner or whatever at that moment, yeah. you know, what happens next? Yeah. And you yeah. can get that in a movie, but it's not real life. It's yeah. not, you know, right. You can talk about it later. Like, wasn't that a great part in this movie? And you're all together, but you weren't really together yeah. at a game table. You built it yourself. It's like building a house. And isn't that a great future like, happened to next? envision? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where, and you're like, hey, yay, yeah, yeah. Elliot won. Yeah. Like, that was a good win. And everyone's yeah. sort of excited. We're you're like John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. We're personal win. Like, there's someone greater than I. That's right. That's right. I, I love that. You? I love that. That's so good. The sense that it envisions a future where personal victory isn't the ultimate measure of right. whether. But you still, but there is some of it. Yeah, you do want to win. Sure, sure. Because otherwise, it's not a game. So there's a little bit of investment. But it's not the ultimate but measure. You can of, also be like, you know what? It, I lost. It's a game. Exactly. So let's go for pizza. Because you know, I mean, truthfully, That's, a lot of suffering is created in the world today by by the attitude that I must win at all costs. You know, no matter what, I'm going yes. to win. And that creates yes. suffering. And, and recent playthrough, and I've shared this with you outside of 
this moment, but um, playing John Company second edition, my favorite game of all time right wow. now. Wow. Even beating out Rude wow. and Cole Worley. I hate you. You're so great. That's high praise. But playing John Company second edition, one of my kids attempted to bankrupt the company by th- taking on all this debt, but <laughs> against his plans, we ended up doing really well and he couldn't bankrupt the company. <laughs> He took out so much debt, but ended up doing really well. Like we were just oozing money out of every pore. That's so, that's great. (laughs) So even his goal, like I'm going to bankrupt the company, win the game, the game itself defeated that. (laughs) And it just became hilarious because he told us like, I'm going to try to bankrupt it. And he could. That's so great. That's so great. That's a nice, the anticipated future too, where even, even to our best efforts, things work out well. Yeah. Despite our best efforts. Your, your, your goal was thwarted for a transformed goal of this moment of hilarity. That's awesome. Well, we just made 50 pounds. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a great moment. No, I, I, you know, my, my main ones are, again, there's nothing groundbreaking. We've things we've talked about before, but I have listeners of this podcast have heard me say multiple times before that that the reason I fell in love with the spiritual benefits of gaming was, and became intrigued by it, was this initial observation that I've seen in, in all of our church board game groups and both of the church board game groups that I've involved in, just how it brings together such a diversity of people, you know, just that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said this again and again, and I apologize for those you were here to say before, but, you know, but senior citizens and college students, every age in between, Republicans, Democrats, um, singles, married, gay, straight, um, different racial, ethnic backgrounds, and d- different parts of humanity that almost would never get together in any other circumstance. But by golly, we get around the game table together, and we love each other around the game table. And I think that's an anticipation of a preferred future. You know, that's that's an anticipation of how we could be. Um, the other thing that it reminds mm-hmm. me of. In terms of anticipated um, preferred future, Molman talks about being free from fear, how play and games free us from fear. If I'm being honest, I live a lot of my life out of fear. I mean, I'm trying to get better. Hmm. I'm trying to get better at that, but I'm, I'm, I, you know, there are different parts of times in my life where I'm afraid of various things. Hmm. He got me thinking about this. You're I, not alone. Well, thanks. I, I can't remember. I can't remember a moment where I am simultaneously playing a game and am afraid of life, you know, and, and that, wow. and, and, and I don't think I would have realized that without Moltmann, but he's, he's right in those moments. It does give me a glimpse of a better future where I'm not afraid of life, you know, where I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't remember simultaneously playing a game and still obsessing. And at the same time, obsessing over the fears of life that I obsess about outside of games. Right. And I thought that was, I w- and anyway, I got that from Moltmann too. Freedom to not be afraid. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a purgation or, or a, a, a substitution, right? Mm. So you're afraid you might lose the game or not play well, but of course that it's just a game. Like if you can keep that yeah. Yeah. paradox in your head, yeah. that becomes a substitution for the real fears. Right, right. Right, and, and it helps. Yeah, it, then, then you get a chance to say, hey, I wasn't afraid so in real life and that felt pretty good. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Boy. That's awesome. That's the, wow. That's the first 14 pages of Jürgen Moltmann's Theology of Play. You're the best, man. Oh, you wow, are. that was awesome. <laughs> I learned so much. Well, ditto. Back at you. I'm going to take you. notes on our notes. <laughs> well, you, you got together some great notes and, and I love how you um, distilled these 14 pages down to two major themes. That was very helpful for organizing well, our conversation. Notes were yours. I, 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 I had some notes, and I did. I, I mean, I did try to do a framework, but a lot of this, and I mean, I've read this so many times and struggled. I have too. It. I'm I have like, too. Oh, Daniel's picked up on this thing, and that's exactly what he is saying well, because he has to say it in a backwards way. Uh, Moltmann does, and Daniel turns it around. Yeah. Well, you're very old, Moltmann. You're kind. Uh, Ping pong, Moltmann, <laughs> with his cart. Um, in front of the horse, and Daniel's like, "No, no, sir. We put the cart after." The you're horse. very, you're very. Oh, now it makes you're sense. You're very gracious yes. and kind. Thank anyway, you. Uh, thanks to everybody. Great uh, episode, and check us out. We are on YouTube, and we are on 
audio platforms, subscribe, like us, etc., etc. And remember the the contest and remember our newsletter. Newsletter. Yeah, thanks newsletter. so much everybody for listening. Uh, we love you. You're an important part of our Board Game Faith family. You rock, and we are so grateful that you have included us as a part of your day. And we hope the rest of your day is That's great. Right. Daniel, clap technology disengaged. Bye. Bye.